This morning is going to be just a little different. And we try not to do different just for difference sake. But oftentimes we just do things out of ritual. But God calls for us to focus upon Him. And as we have communion, it's something that we do. And we as a church, it says that we're to do it regularly. We as a church have chosen to do it each month. And as we also close the uh, series on the book of Philippians, the connection between Philippians and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the most common passage we use as we introduce the communion or Lord's Supper, it's called either one, it, uh, they correlate a lot. One of the reasons they correlate is because it's dealing with sinful people struggling to follow God. The church at Corinth had some struggles. The church at Philippi had some struggles. Every church has some challenges. And it's amazing how oftentimes there's the same foundational challenges. So as we look at communion this morning, we're going to look at some different segments to see how God has called us to prepare our hearts for communion, the importance of communion, and the struggles that the church at Philippi had, as well as the struggles the church at Corinth had, and struggles that every church faces. So I pray and have been praying that this will be an encouragement to you, help each one of us with refreshed eyes to look at why we celebrate and how we celebrate communion or the Lord's Supper. So let's begin with a word of prayer this morning. Father, as we come before You, may we be encouraged in what You have done for us. May we be encouraged in the sacrifice of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. And Lord, as we look at the importance of examining ourselves and recognizing Your grace and Your love this morning, may we look at communion with refreshed eyes, recognizing the importance of celebrating what you have done for us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we prepare our hearts to remember Christ's sacrifice, there's several things that we need to reflect upon. We need to reflect upon our relationships. The people in the church at Philippi, as well as the people in the church at Corinth, had some struggles with relationships. And each one of us can think about relationships and times that they go well and times they have great struggles. But we are called upon to examine and to restore our relationships. Our relationship with God and also our relationship with other people. Philippians chapter 2, the first two verses say this, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. As we have gone through, and we've actually 14 different messages, I guess this would be the 15th, Looking at the book of Philippians, this letter that Paul wrote, it was a letter of joy. 
And he saw some amazing things that God was doing in the lives of those people as well as things that He was doing through the lives of the people there in the church at Philippi. But one of the challenges that they had was to live in harmony. And Paul shares some reasons why they should live in harmony or unity. And as we read there in verse 1, he begins with a rhetorical question. If there is, really could be called since there is, or in light of the fact of these things, we're to live and to dwell in unity. The four things that he lists there in verse 1, that we see the consolation in Christ. If there is encouragement in Christ, does Christ come alongside and help? And the natural question we have to ask ourselves is, shouldn't the work of Christ in my life compel me to preserve the unity that Christ desires? If there is any comfort of love, if God gives comfort. God gives us comfort although we don't deserve it. We are unworthy sinners. Is there any fellowship of the Spirit? The idea of a partnership. Remember, fellowship means the idea of striving together toward the same goal. Does the Holy Spirit provide us with a unified purpose? It also reminds us that unity occurs when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. But we also need to recognize that disunity means that we're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. God made us all different. God gave us different gifts. We have different passions. We have different personalities. But through all of that, we're called to be unified. We're not called to be uniform. We're called to be unified. And God uses us as unique individuals with the goal of working together to further the kingdom of God. And so we have a fellowship of the Spirit. We're unified in purpose. And then any affection and mercy. Are we tenderly comforted and encouraged by God? So we see that these four rhetorical questions, if they are true, which we know they are, then we're to do what's called, or what we're called to do in verse 2, to fulfill God's joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And we see throughout the book of Philippians that that was one of the challenges it is with any church. The challenges, we all see what needs to be focused upon a little differently. We all have different areas that we are excited about. And those we may not have that same excitement as others. But God has prepared us to work together. And we are called to have that unity. And the church at Philippi had people with different personalities, different passions, different gifts, different abilities. And the challenge was, them, was for them to work together to further the kingdom of God. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. To reach out to a world that needs Christ. And to grow together in Christ. But the church in Corinth 
had some of those same struggles. In fact, 1 Corinthians begins with, with the challenge of the four different Christian leaders that different factions within the church were putting up as their hero. And Paul was challenging them, no, it's all about Jesus Christ and, and we're working together with the same goal. But they struggled with some of the same disunity that the, that the church at Philippi struggled with. Probably even a little more. Church at Corinth had some real struggles. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, where we're coming into this section that talks about the Lord's Supper. And so as he's introducing and challenging them to some of the things that they needed to correct as they celebrated communion or the Lord's Supper, notice how he begins here in verses 17 and 18. It says this, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Uh-oh, correction is coming. Since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. It's sort of an interesting way. He, uh, Paul is not usually very gentle, but it seems like he's sort of putting it gently. So, you know, in part I believe this. <laughs> in other words, like, I've seen your actions, and I've heard the stories about the factions that are involved in the church there. And I believe it's true. You're struggling because you are not unified. And Satan desires to destroy the church by, dis by creating discord. And every single gospel preaching church, one of Satan's great tools is to cause discord. Because when the church is busy fighting, they're not focused on serving and sharing. As a church, we're called to worship, grow, and share. And when I am not in unity with my church family, I will not worship properly. I will not serve properly. And I will not share the gospel regularly. Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. A couple weeks ago, we looked at this. Two ladies within the church at Philippi that were struggling. It says, in, beginning in verse 2, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These were two ladies that were very involved in the ministry of the church and God had used them as well as others in, in promoting the gospel and, and growth within the church and, and believers growing together and reaching their community for Christ. But something had taken place between these two ladies and it, and it became a battle. And they went from serving and sharing to bickering. And, 
And we talked about this, so I won't dwell on it that much, but I don't think it was a very big issue. It wasn't a foundation of the faith because if it was a serious theological issue, Paul would have addressed it and said, okay, Yodia says this, Syntyche says this, this is what God says. I have a feeling it had to do with the color of the carpet in the fellowship room. Now, I don't have anything where I can base, that I can base that on, but it was something that in the scope of the kingdom of God was probably not that important. But it became the focus of their lives. And as it became the focus of their lives, it became a focus in the church. And the church spent far too much time involved in this battle over some unknown argument which caused them to spend much less time focused on the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus warns about the destruction of our worship when we harbor sin with others. And he's going through a, a, a series there. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And he's going through some of these things where not just the action, but the attitude. And he talks about murder and anger. But then he says in verses 23 and 24 of Matthew chapter 5, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, then, then come and offer your gift. Now you say, but John, he's not talking about communion or the Lord's Supper. He's talking about worship. They went to the temple to worship and to, to worship in their giving as well as worship in other ways. But Jesus said, listen, if, if you're coming here to worship and to give your gift, but you have an issue with a fellow, a fellow person, another person, you need to get that straightened out because your worship will be hindered because of that unresolved disagreement with another person. In order to worship properly, we need to have restored relationships. But Paul challenges us here in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves before we take part in communion. What happens is we, when we come and, and we read that in, in later verses, verses 27 through 30, it says, but let a man examine himself. Before they take part in communion, they need to examine their relationship with God. But that also involves relationship with others. And so, as we take communion... And as we regularly take communion, we usually take a few moments for each of us to examine our hearts. To see if there's some unconfessed sin in our lives that would keep us from celebrating communion the way that God calls for us to celebrate communion. 
as we will see in just a few minutes, there were some real struggles that the church at Corinth was having. Their bickering was a part of it, but there were other parts. And so this morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we're going to take some time to go before God as individuals and see if there are some things in our lives that we need to get straightened out with God. And I want you specifically to consider relationships that you may be struggling with. And you say, but John, you don't know what they did. Well, let's think about it. And and I have those same feelings at times where it's like, they really hurt me. They don't deserve my forgiveness. Well, Jesus forgave us who don't deserve His forgiveness. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 reminds us that we're to forgive one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you have done something to someone the Matthew 5 passage. If your brother has something against you. But if you're like me, what's your first response? You know, it really wasn't that big of a deal. They need to get over it. Right? But guess what? God says that if we have hurt someone, if we have offended someone, no matter how big or small we think the issue is, we're called upon to make it right. So as we spend some time praying this morning, as you examine your heart before Christ, examine relationships. And I want you to do a couple things. Obviously, confess to God a lack of forgiveness on your part or ask God to forgive you for how you've treated someone else. But also as you do that, ask God to help you go to that person to make it right. Because we're called to do that also. Not just say, God, I'm sorry I was cruel to my wife today. I also need to go to my wife and say, I'm sorry for what I've done to you. I'm sorry I've hurt you. So whatever that relationship is, you need to not only restore it with God, but restore it with that person. So as we pray, I encourage you to also ask God to give you wisdom and guidance and strength to go and make it right with that person who has offended you or who you have offended. So let's spend some time in prayer.
Father, as we come before you, I know in each one of our lives, there have been times, and maybe even right now, where we struggle in relationships. Lord, may we be faithful and as much as possible to be at peace with all men. You have called us to do that. Lord, may we be the uniter. Lord, in broken relationships, Lord, may each one of us here examine our part in what has caused the struggles. Lord, may we lead in being the one seeking restoration. And Lord, our relationship with you, Lord, broken relationships here on earth affect that relationship. Lord, also other sins in our lives that, that keep us from worshiping you the way that we are called to worship and keep us from celebrating communion as we are called to celebrate. Lord, may we each examine ourselves. And Lord, we pray that you would give us pure hands and give us clean hearts. And Lord, that is our desire. And Lord, as we continue to worship you this morning and as we continue to prepare our hearts for communion this morning, Lord, may we sing your praises and worship you with hearts desiring to be more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we sing this song? Spirit, come make us 
before you, broken by your grace.
called upon to reflect upon our relationships, we're also called upon to reflect upon our attitude. Communion should be taken with an attitude of humility as we recognize our reliance upon Christ alone. We must be selfless people. And as we recognize that salvation comes from Christ alone and our forgiveness that Christ gives to us is so undeserved, that needs to cause us to not only forgive others, but to humbly serve. Philippians chapter 2, continuing on in verses 3 and 4, says, Let nothing that be done through selfish ambition or conceit but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look on not only for your own interest or his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And the people in the church at Corinth were selfish and conceited. Selfish ambition is seeking personal advantage no matter how it affects others. Conceit is a highly exaggerated view of myself. As Paul continues on in the 1 Corinthians passage, preparing our hearts for communion, he says in verses 20-22, through 22, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They were coming for wrong reasons. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. They would come and they would have these celebration feasts before the Lord's Supper and they were selfish. They weren't concerned about one another and, and it turned into these drunken feasts rather than a focus upon Jesus Christ's sacrifice for us. But just like the people in the church at Corinth, we are to examine our relationship with God. And we're to examine our attitude. So as we prepare to take communion this morning, let's consider our attitudes. Let's pray that God will keep us from selfishness, that God will give us an attitude of humility and grace. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize that you as Almighty God sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Help us to recognize the sacrificial heart that that required. And Lord, help us have humble hearts. And Lord, help us to reflect upon those attitudes. Lord, attitudes that may keep us from worshiping You and serving You as we are called to worship and serve. But attitudes that may keep us from coming to You with pure hearts. 
as we celebrate that sacrifice that you have given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So not only do we recognize on our relationships and our attitudes, but we're called to reflect upon Christ's sacrifice. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. These verses are a powerful reminder of the sacrifice that Christ made as He emptied Himself. As He took on human flesh, became a servant, and died a humiliating death in order to pay the penalty for our sins. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul takes us back to the night that the Lord's Supper was initiated. As Jesus spent the Passover with His disciples, knowing that shortly he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be arrested, tried and crucified, all because of his sacrificial love for us and providing the salvation. Salvation that we don't deserve, but that he freely gives. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26 says, For I received from the Lord that which also was delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. Father, as we take part in the juice and the cracker, remembrance of Your blood, Your body that was sacrificed for us, Lord, may we recognize Your amazing grace and love and Your sacrifice for us. Lord, may you receive the glory as we worship and as we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
this do as you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
reflection this morning is to reflect upon our victory. 1 Corinthians 11.26 ends with the command to take part in communion until Christ returns. He will come as conquering king and we as followers of his will reign with him. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11 reminds us of that amazing victory. Victory over sin and death. A victory that we remember as we take part in communion. Verses 9 through 11, Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has also highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the victorious King. And as we celebrate His sacrifice, we rejoice in the victory that can come through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Father, we are grateful for the sacrifice. We also look forward to the incredible victory. Lord, a victory that is assured for us as Your followers that we will reign with You in glory. Thank You for that victory. And that hope that we have in you, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.